Before I begin to preach, I just want to acknowledge I have quite a few friends who know me in both from the church and from other places visiting today. And um, I admit they've seen me in different capacities. I, there are family friends who have seen me get red cards in soccer games and <laughs> run around like a maniac in the abbey. So, so bear with me and have mercy. Let's open with a word of prayer. Merciful God, help me to speak your word with faithfulness and clarity and humility and wisdom. And help us to not simply hear your word, but to listen. Listen closely and faithfully. Open our hearts, God, to the implanted word. And allow us to be doers who act. Lord, we give thanks for every good and perfect gift which come from you. In Jesus' name, amen. I guess I should open up my sermon. Our pastors love to listen. They're always meeting with people. They're always getting coffee. They're talking with people all the time. Especially Pastor Angela. As you know, Pastor Angela cares deeply about the stories that shape us. And so when, I, when Pastor Angela first got to the Kirk, um, she wanted to hear my story and why I'm in seminary. And so we're sitting down in Starbucks and I'm giving her my rap and grew up at the Kirk, yada, yada. Hope College, important things. And when I share my story, I, I'd like to acknowledge the, uh, the people, specifically by name, who uh, have formed me. Um, I don't like to just say, oh, this coach was important, and oh, that teacher was you know, helpful along the way, but I like to acknowledge them by name. So I had saying um, from my time at Hope that Dr. David Cho, my professor of English, was important to my journey. And when I said this, Pastor Angela kind of sat up straight and said, Dr. Cho from Hope College teaches English? And Pastor Angela is enthusiastic, but this energy surprised me. And I was new to getting to know her, so. She's like, I think I know him. Does he, is he, did he go to University of Illinois, Urbana-Champaign? I nodded, I knew he did. Dr. Cho led Angela's Bible study in college small world. I think this is why we listen closely. I think um, important things happen when we pay attention. And Pastor Angela, she didn't have to really notice or care about the name of my professor. How is she going to know a professor from Hope College? But she was paying attention, listening closely. And I think it's an example of how profound our connections be when we pay attention. It's during these moments when we listen, when we get close to people, when we descend into the particulars of their lives, when transformation is possible. Of course, I see this in the example of Jesus. How's the other one? Okay, maybe? Yeah. Which one, Kevin? 
It's okay. One part about the beauty of the life of Jesus is, of course, that God became flesh and dwelt among us. But another important part is that Jesus was proximate to people. He worshipped with them, prayed with them, walked with them, ate with them. I think because God chose to enter into our humanity to get close to us, we know that important things can happen when we get close to others. When we descend into the particulars of people's lives, when we listen closely, we invite opportunities for God's transforming love to operate in both of our lives. And I want to talk about this idea a little bit from, by sharing a story from Micah 6, from the, one of the communities that we've supported this summer, we support the story. I think they were the first organization we supported. And Micah 6, I had the pleasure of visiting them a few weeks ago when I was working with Accent Pontiac. Pastor Nate had mentioned that I've been shadowing different people uh, all summer, different pastors, and I had a week to shadow Accent Pontiac. And we went on Tuesday morning uh, of the camp week to, to participate in, what, in the work at Micah 6. Micah 6 is a community garden. Um, they, they, they do other things, but they've planted um, flower beds and apple trees, peach trees. They have greenhouses. They have a soccer field. And they're bringing people together in Pontiac, uh, in their neighborhood. And they're doing some transformative work. But Coleman, the executive director of the project, would be very quick to tell you that transformation would not be possible without um, listening closely to the neighbors who have lived there for a long time. And it's through the conversations that Coleman's had with his neighbors that has really allowed his project to, to succeed and to make a difference in the neighborhood. In 2012, Coleman and his friends moved to Pontiac from uh, Arkansas, and they started to listen to neighbors, and, and they quickly learned that access to healthy and fresh food was one of the biggest needs, and they learned that people had limited access to transportation. They didn't necessarily have cars, and so they couldn't really get to the grocery store, which wasn't down the street. So they'd often have to go to the, the corner store, um, maybe it was a liquor store, just to get kind of small packaged foods that didn't really offer a ton of nutrition. And so it was during these conversations they learned that a garden would, might be an important asset to the community. And he said they started, they started gardening and neighbors would participate in that and they started hosting community picnics. He said, Coleman said they felt like the good guys. And he said if there are good guys then there are probably bad guys. And if there were bad guys in the neighborhood, it was probably going to be the neighborhood drug dealers. Coleman says, we had drawn a line in the sand between us and these people in our neighborhood who were selling drugs. And we began to realize, after getting plugged in with them and their families, that the drug dealers didn't see that line. The local drug dealers didn't see a distinction. They saw both parties as actively helping to improve the neighborhood. And he says at one of these community picnics, a drug dealer came in and palmed him $1,000. Gave him $1,000 in cash. And Coleman looked and he said, I, we have to have a conversation. We can't be you know, allowing these picnics to be networking opportunities for your small business. <laughs> but the man said no. He said, he said, people talk. People talk about block parties, talk about neighborhood barbecues. 
by bringing the neighborhood together. And no one does it, but you're doing it. And I wanna help you keep that going. Coleman and his team had drawn this line based on the principle that they assumed drug dealers would not be helping to improve the neighborhood, that they weren't invested in the people like Coleman thought Micah 6 was. But the people selling drugs didn't see it that way. They saw the work of Micah 6 and their partnership with the local drug dealers as ways to improve their kids' lives and their friends' lives and their lives, the whole community's lives. And Coleman learned that people selling drugs were also helping people in really tangible ways. And he, he learned this from a guy named Jeremiah. Jeremiah was, you know, he was, again, a local drug dealer. And so they began to, to form a relationship and were talking. And Jeremiah said that he dropped out of school in seventh grade when his mom got diabetes and he had to help take care of her. And Jeremiah, he needed to make money, but he was 13 and he didn't really have a, a great way to, to get a job. And so he knew friends on the street who were running drugs for pretty good money. And that's, that's what he started to do. And he started to help pay for his mom's medication. And he says now, years later, that it's the only job, he's still doing it, and it's the only job that helps him be at home in the morning to help his younger brother get to school, to get on the school bus because he cares about his brother's well-being and he wants his brother to finish school even though he didn't get to. And Coleman said that he learned that Jeremiah is using the, the means he has from, from the poor selling drugs and that's being used to pay for groceries for, for two other neighbors down the street. And it's also, and he's also paying attention to two other local kids to make sure that they get on the school bus because he cares about those two kids as much as he cares about his own brother. And so Jeremiah is deeply invested in improving that neighborhood and improving it for everybody. And he sees Micah Six and Coleman as partners in that work. I think that on principle, very few of us support drug dealers. I mean, we like pharmacists, but we don't really like drug dealers. But I think sometimes when we immerse ourselves in the specifics of someone's life and circumstance, we understand the complexities of their life. We see that people are more complicated than we realize when we saw them at a distance. And I believe that there are times when we need to set aside principle and see the people who are doing redemptive work. I see this in the example of, of Jesus and I see it in one of my favorite other scripture verses. It's Matthew 9 verses 9 to 13. Jesus calls a tax collector named Matthew, says, follow me. And Jesus invites him over for dinner. And the scribes and Pharisees are there and they're grumbling and say, why does your teacher sit with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. He says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have to come to call not the righteous, but sinners. I love what Jesus says here. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Not steadfast observance of the law. And that's what sacrifice is. I was confused at first when I heard it years ago, and I thought, well, Jesus sacrificed his life for us, and you know, we're called to carry our own cross and sacrifice for, for other people. 
But this means more specifically the, the rituals of, of the Jewish law, keeping the law to a T. And Jesus says, no, don't steadfastly observe the law. Show compassion for complicated people. Because I think even when people break the law, do things that we deem inappropriate, Jesus calls us to, show, to still show them mercy. And I think we want this for ourselves, right? As Nate said last week, we want to find rest. And Jesus wants us to find rest. And I think rest can come when someone sees us for who we are and beyond the things that we've done. I think rest comes after we've received mercy. And if we show someone mercy, we might just become an answer to their prayers, their prayers for rest. We all have struggles and lives that are more complicated than anyone can see from a distance. I do assume that very few of us at the Kirk are drug dealers. But I do know that a lot of us have struggles and concerns in our life that, that we want rest from. And I think when we draw near to each other, when we listen closely, we can sit with one another in grief and journey with them through their struggle. Some of us may appear to be high-functioning, successful, confident. I think that's many of us at the Kirk, especially here. But I think many of us have doubts about our own self-worth and our own lives, and we know that we struggle with things that we don't necessarily show to everyday people. And it's certainly hard to, to show them, and we don't necessarily need to show it to everyone, but we still seek rest from those fears and those concerns. We have pastors and Stephen ministers who are trained to help those who are struggling. But I believe that each of us can be better conduits of grace to those who are struggling. Each of us can draw near to someone, to listen to them closely, to console them during their pain. I think we have to slow down our speech, temper our anger, limit our judgment. I think we have to do what James says, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. Because rarely when we get angry, when we judge, does that become God's righteousness and mercy. Last Friday I had the joy and privilege to go to the John Mayer concert with my girlfriend and her family and since then I've been humming along the song in my head, In the Blood, which is from John Mayer's 2017 album. I hadn't heard it before last week, and I've really enjoyed the song. And in the song, John Mayer asks, how likely the traits of his mom, dad, and brothers will become traits that define him too? He sings, although I will not. (laughs) How much of my mother has my mother left in me? How much of my love will be insane to some degree? And what about this feeling, that I'm never good enough? Will it wash out in the water, or is it always in the blood? All of us have things that we inherit that we want to change about ourselves, that are are our struggles. 
I think things follow us from generation to generation, both the good and the bad. And I think we wonder sometimes if we're destined to struggle with the same things in our life forever. But I think when we get close, we create opportunities to understand the struggles and cycles that are shaping our neighbors. And we introduce chances to offer acts of mercy and also to receive mercy. And I think mercy has the power to redirect our paths, change our stories. This idea has been shaped for me from, in many ways, the book by Brian Stevenson called Just Mercy. Brian Stevenson's quote is on the front cover of our bulletin. Stevenson's a human rights lawyer, represents the poor, the incarcerated, people on death row, people who are unfairly sentenced, people who have been wrongly accused. Stevenson represents those who have been wrongly convicted due to discrimination. And those who have been rightly convicted for crimes that they committed, but unfairly and harshly sentenced. Like in past years, the 13, 14-year-old kids who are sentenced to life in prison without parole. And that's been overturned by the Supreme Court, but that was a reality that Stevenson has, has fought against, and he, was, he presided in the Supreme Court for that case. Stevenson's committed his life to serving people whose stories can't be understood from a distance. And by getting close, Stevenson's realized that mercy has the power to change people's lives, anyone's life. It's changed the lives of those who are convicted, those who are incarcerated, the guards, the judges, juries, even the victims. Because when he's gotten close to people during his work, he's realized that we are all in need of mercy. I think that sort of responds to what John Mayer is asking. Because we all have struggles, we all have insecurities. I think a lot of us struggle because we don't feel good enough. Of course, we've all made mistakes. And so it's through his experiences in the most hopeless places, on death row, that Stevenson has come to a powerful conclusion. He says, the power of just mercy is that it belongs to the undeserving. It's when mercy is least expected that it's most potent, strong enough to break the cycle of victimization and victimhood, retribution and suffering. It has the power to heal. Whether to a drug dealer, a tax collector, a person on death row, a person beside you in the pews, even a pop star. Mercy has the power to transform all of us. But to offer mercy, we have to get close. We have to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. We have to be patient, listen closely to the stories that have shaped the lives of people who we can't understand from a distance. Jesus says that he desires mercy. We have to be close enough in a place where we can offer it. When we listen closely, we can be inspired by the redemptive work that people in our community are doing. 
And we can be surprised by the unexpected pain that our neighbors are suffering. But we can't understand either from a distance. When we get close to one another, when we descend into the particulars of people's lives, we can console those who are suffering. Because if you don't immerse yourself in the specifics of someone's life and circumstance, all you can offer is platitudes or outrage. You can't offer mercy. You can't offer hope. I think if you're close, but you're not consoling, the best you offer is insensitive cliches. I think if you're, you care, but you don't get close, if you remain at a distance, then all you offer is detached cynicism. You can't truly offer consolation. You can't show mercy. And you can't participate in redemptive hope. But when we get close, when we listen closely, we offer consolation. And we invite opportunities for God to intercede with transforming love. And then we create opportunities where we can become the conduits of God's powerful and unmerited grace. Amen.